But let's go start. I'll read Mark 11, 1 through 10. Mark 11, 1 through 10. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, And he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to draw together today. And you are the Lord of all time and space. And you are the one that creates all of our reality. You've created us as well. And you have brought us here today to celebrate this 2,000-year-old event. And as we read the scripture and as, as I lead us in trying to interact with what it says here, Father, would you be so kind as to open our hearts and our eyes, maybe for the very first time, to see the truth about who Jesus Christ is. And that we would come to say, oh Lord, Hosanna. I love you. I need you. I praise you. Help me, please. So that's our prayer today, Lord, that you would give us a heart that yearns for you, a willingness to admit our need of you, and uh, to come with open arms praising you today. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, so here we are. I love how Luke puts this. You know, Jesus is in control of what he's doing here. And Luke says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, which is his, this is Luke 9, 51, which is his reference to the fact that Jesus knew he would, he would die, he would go through that great suffering, he would be buried, he would be raised to life and actually go off into the ascension. Uh, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus is purposefully, you know, planning this event. I'm going to Jerusalem. He knows full well what is in store for him there. Uh, Yet he faces the reality. He faces the music. So how, how does this all start? 
we have Jesus coming in to this event, and I think there's this sort of element to it. You know, he's hat in hand, and he says, excuse me, I'm borrowing your wee donkey. You know, you know maybe please, but no, I'm going to take it. It's, it's very, very weird how this happens. And the way it's recorded in all of the Gospels, uh, it's presented as just another example how Jesus knows everything and, and that he has actual sovereign control over all events, all you know, conditions, all contingencies. This is the nature of God. He is all-powerful. None of the Gospels say that he went into the town and made pre-arrangements and gave them a code word. When they say the Lord needs it, that's when you give the donkey. None of them say that. It's, It's funny to me, actually, though, when you go survey the literature, which I did a lot this week, almost everybody, even the most conservative Bible commentators say, well, Jesus, obviously, these were his friends, and he probably had arranged this ahead of time. And I, I just don't buy that, because that's not the way it's presented. It's presented as, as another example of the power of Jesus. He says, you're going to go in there, and, you know, he hadn't been in that city for a long time, at least 24 hours. And he says, as soon as you go there, there's going to be a little donkey, colt and donkey. The other gospels say it was a donkey, and Matthew says, right, there was the mother and the what do you call it? The full, uh, the, the baby donkey. You know, I'm not a farmer, okay? <laughs> the baby donkey, and, um, and no one's ever ridden on that baby donkey, and you'll find it right there. You know, this shows his, who he is. He has all power to know this and power to take what he needs when he needs it. I think of other options for Jesus. You know, I think this is a little silly, uh, but, you know, the Bible teaches that the, he is the Lord of lords. He, he has all riches. He has all power, all strength. He, he can arrange events the way he desires to arrange them. That's a part of being God. And what we have here is not an accidental fallout uh, to a poor beggar who had no home. Uh, no, this is the way he planned it. He, he could have chosen... You know, this is actually an artist's rendering of a Roman uh, four-horse chariot. You know what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sleigh. It's a lot more fun with four of them. (laughs) I just got a new motorcycle, and somehow that, you know, riding on things is all in my mind. And my new one has like twice the power. I went from two horsepower to four horsepower. And it's a lot more fun than riding that baby little donkey. And by the way, it says it's never been ridden before. Would you just hop on a donkey that had never been ridden before? I mean, that's a little scary to me, you know, right? And he has sovereign control even over how this little baby donkey is going to respond to his weight. And if you go to uh, the Grand Canyon, you can take a donkey ride down to the bottom, right? They've been doing this for probably hundreds of years uh, And you can still do it today. And, you know, those donkeys have been ridden hundreds of times. They know the way. There's virtually no danger for you to sit on that well-trained, shall we say, beaten-down beast of burden, you know. But this is an unbroken, untrained donkey, no saddle. The saddle is a bunch of cloth. I'm going to get a little sillier here. Honestly... 
If you believe that Jesus Christ is fully God, he had unbelievable options. Like he could have chosen a tank. Now, wouldn't that have been oppressive? You know, this is like a modern day American army tank. It could just go right through the wall. This would get their attention. Now, this is even sillier. How about a hey, stealth bomber? Now, you know, oh, you're a, you're a UFO. You're, you know, but he had all power. This is what he chose. He chose a silly, ignorant, unbroken donkey. Why is this? One commentator that I read, I liked it because no one's ever heard of this guy. He's from, uh, he was a former minister, like 100 years ago, of Cape Town, South Africa, Baptist Church. But he, his words were in a commentary I had. I know they're not amazing, but it says this. Such was his poverty that even for this occasion, he had to borrow an animal to ride upon. But what is going on here, actually? Well, as we said uh, earlier, and it said it in the video, there was a prophecy a long time ago, centuries before Jesus was on the earth, about five centuries, around 500 B.C., and this is what Zechariah said. Uh, These are the exact words. Uh, I'll read them in English. Uh, Rejoice greatly. You know, don't be moderate, be, be immoderate in your rejoicing. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, get loud. You know, like you go to the baseball game, it's get loud. <laughs> it's kind of like that, but better. Oh, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Now here's, here's Israel trodden down by oppression. Israel's history is very, very sad and dark. Um, Let's just roll back the clock. Let's go back to, uh, let's let's not go back to 1,000. Let's zoom forward to like 722 B.C. The Assyrians came in and ruthlessly crushed northern Israel, the ten tribes, uh, so bad that that, uh, humanly they were not ever restored. And then 586 B.C., the, the Babylonians came in and crushed southern Israel, Jerusalem. They, they let out their pent-up wrath on the glorious temple, probably one of the most beautiful buildings ever built. They reduced it to rubble. And, and, and then, finally, they get restored. But soon after that, the Greeks start having big fights over that area, back and forth, back and forth. And now, and now we're into the Roman era, They inherited from the Greeks the same thing, and they are, you know, oppressing Israel. And the the prophecy is, your king is coming. He's coming. He's righteous. Oh, what a wonderful thing to have a righteous ruler. We, We long to have a ruler we can always depend on to be right. Wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, Righteous and having salvation. He's bringing Help, the help we need. Humble and, and mounted on a donkey. See, here's the direct prophecy. He's humble. He's mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There's the word, foal. A baby donkey is a foal. Now, literally, Jesus is setting this up. He's setting this up to, to show that this is the fulfillment of this prophecy, right? Right? Uh, definitely. He's pointing out 
of truth about himself, that he is the Messiah. He's the king who's coming to his city, and he's coming with salvation, but he's coming in this era, the era we still live in, as a humble, gentle, lowly king. And he's actually the king who submits to God the Father to the point of death. This king, he's, he's not coming to relieve you know, trivial problems like Rome. <laughs> Rome is a problem. You know, but Rome can only hurt you for 70 or 80 years, you know, as long as you live. That's all the, that, you know, praise God. Bad government <laughs> can only hurt you for your lifetime here on the earth. You know what hurts you forever? Sin. Your own sin. I mean, your own sin makes Rome look like a walk in the park. I mean, it makes, it makes all the troubles of this earth seem like nothing because sin is a burden that buries you forever. In fact, the Bible clearly reveals that the wages of sin is death, and it's an eternal death, and it's a, a torment away from God in a literal burning, tormenting hell. Am I preaching brimstone and fire? I hope so. Why? Because it's real. The Bible says this. It's real. But God doesn't want you to go there. He sends Jesus to relieve you of that. See that glorious word right here? Salvation. I'm going to camp on this word later on. Uh, the Hebrew word it, root for this is Yahsha. Yahsha. And Yahshua. Joshua is Guess what? The name of Jesus, when we put it through Greek and Latin and everything else into English, it becomes Jesus. A little bit hard transition there, but the Hebrew is Yasha. It's the, he's the Savior. The, you know, the promise is when he's born, you'll call his name Jesus. Because he will what? He will save his people from what? Their sins. You know, this is glorious. And Jesus is saying, by this whole donkey business. I'm the Messiah. I'm fulfilling all of these prophecies. And by the way, quite literally. You know, this wasn't a metaphorical donkey. He's riding on a real donkey this day. And it's pretty darn cool. So the, the people start shouting. Well, the, the scripture tells them to shout. Um, why did they start shouting? He's been to Jerusalem uh, in uh, John. By the way, in Mark, you'd think this is his first time there. But John tells us, no, 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 he's been there at least three other times. Why now, right? Well, <laughs> the only real sufficient answer is this is God's time. You know, and when God wants to work, he will. You know, when he wants a group of guys and ladies working on a church and have Byron walk in on a, on a Saturday and say, I want to get baptized, he does. You know, that's what he does. He's God. And, and this glorious, sovereign uh, work of God that the people responded to Jesus and he didn't stop them this day. They were shouting. I mean, look, honestly, let me read the words because uh, people aren't sometimes uncomfortable with volume issues, which I can understand. I have, I have a grandson. <laughs> Ezekiel's amazing. He's two. When is he turning three? Like August? Yeah, he's, 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 he's got two volumes. 
quiet and full volume. <laughs> and even this morning at the breakfast table, he goes, boom! <laughs> really high volume. And I'm like, Ooh, Zeke, please. <laughs> you woke me up there. Uh, it's exciting. It's wonderful. It has volume. Uh, and here it is. They're shouting out loudly to Jesus. Um, let me, again, where, where is that? They brought the colt, they spread their cloaks, and there it is in verse 9. And those who, who went before and those who followed. So there's two big groups, one before Jesus and one after, and they're shouting. And like I said, honestly, you look it up yourself, uh, the enemies of Jesus, the Pharisees, and they, they were all upset about this because they said, the whole world is going after him. You know, look at this. It was a big ruckus. It's like somebody outside here trying to get out of the snow, you know. Everybody said, what is going on out there? Well, that's even better what happened there in Jerusalem. They were shouting out worship to Jesus. Now, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes because we have this strange word in this text, Hosanna. Hosanna. And it's, it clearly means essentially in our text, praise you, praise you. Uh, because it even says Hosanna in the highest in verse 10, which I think, I think it's Luke puts in there, praise in the highest to this king of kings. Uh, but this is an interesting word because what it is is it comes from um, this verse in Psalm 118. Psalm 118 verse 25 says, save us. Now that first word is our word Hosanna. It actually, and guess what? We're going to get to this, but I'll tell you the secret. Yasha is the root of this word. Yahshua, that Hebrew word, save us. And the, it, it, I'm going to show you in a second. You're going to get a little linguistics today. Uh, that is this word in, in Hebrew. Hosanna, save us, we pray. All of that is in Hosanna. Save us, we pray. Oh, Lord. And when you see it in the English Bible, all caps, that's the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. Save us, Yahweh. And then, oh, Lord, we pray, give us success. They, the people's heart and mind went right to that verse in Psalm 118, verse 25. Let me show it to you in Hebrew. I know some of you actually have some Hebrew in your background, so it's not all crazy. But I can show you real quick. It reads from, this is right, that's left. It reads from right to left. And it starts, this is Anna. Ana Yahweh, there's the sacred tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, and that has the uh, vowels for Adon. I told you that earlier. We won't get into that today. So Ana, which really sort of means please, please Yahweh, and there is our word Hosanna, uh, Hosh, I'll get it in a second, Hoshiana, there's the na. It's actually sort of a separate word, a prefix. Hoshiana, Hoshiana. So that's what they were yelling out. Hosanna, Hoshana uh, on that day. Lord, help us. And here's the rest of the verse. It's totally parallel. It's Hebrew poetry. Ana, which please Yahweh. And this is the word, give us success, which is he, let's see, he, I put it here in English, Oh, it's the next one. Let me, let me get it here. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's not. It's hats. Hats li ha na. 
Aren't you glad we didn't have to learn that one? I mean, Hosanna is a lot easier, right? This is Hatzlichana. This is Hosanna or Hoshiana and Hatzlichana. As I said, anglicized. These are, the, these are the two expressions in Psalm 118, verse 25. I think it is. Yeah, 11825. Hoshiana Hatzlichana. I've got you speaking in tongues. I won't make you say those things. <laughs> it's these two intense um, requests of God. It, it, think of all the layers, as I said, involved with these words. Like, I need help. And I know you're the one that can help me. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah, the one sent by God, the anointed one to help me. And would you, would you save me? Would you give me success? Because I, on my own, am not going to make it. So those, that's what the people were saying. And if, like I said, it becomes a word of praise. I think logically because the person who can help you, you have a great deal of appreciation for them. You know, even on simple things, like you have something broken, like your computer's broken, the hard drive's dead, and you take it to somebody who can fix it, who can replace the hard drive. And if you're like me, you have a great deal of admiration for that. That's pretty amazing. You fixed that. Thank you so much. You know, Hosanna. (laughs) Not quite to that level, but you are worthy of thanks because of how you helped me. And, and you take that up to the level of Jesus. Jesus is the Savior who didn't relieve me of, uh, of all the problems. Rome is still there, and Rome is going to crush Jerusalem in 70 AD. But he relieved the bigger problem <laughs> of our sin when he died on the cross for us. And here's just a little bit more history on this. Um, I, we mentioned the Feast of Booths. It's this glorious Hebrew feast that happens once a year, not at this time of year. But the seventh day of the Feast of Booths is called Hoshana Rabbah, which means uh, the highest, uh, the best Hoshana. And they literally, this, this isn't made up for Christians, they, they literally cut palm branches and waved them around as the uh, Hebrew people cry out, Hoshana, save us, uh, Lord, we pray. I am yours, save me, is another, uh, you, this word, save me, oh, over here, is, is the same yasha root that I mentioned. It's in Psalm 119.94. It's the same feeling, Lord, I'm yours, save me. I praise you for the salvation that you're bringing to me. And there's our root that I mentioned so many times today. You learn something new. There's the Hebrew root without any vowels, yah the root of he saves. That is the main important lesson for today. Now, turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. I just wanted to read a couple of other passages as well. Romans, excuse me, Revelation 7. is a passage that describes a future heavenly event. And just to read 9 through 12, it says, And I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. You know, there was a small multitude on Palm Sunday. 
This is a great multitude that you can't even number. They're from every nation and from all tribes and people and languages, spreading before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. You know, we wear white robes when we do the baptism. It's kind of the idea that we're talking about cleansing through the power of the blood of Jesus. These folks are clothed in white robes. And look, it says, with palm branches in their hands. So even in heaven, you know, we kind of got to get used to this idea. We're going to see a lot of palms. Uh, They've got palm branches in their hands. And it says, look, verse 10, and crying out with a loud voice. You know, there's a time to be loud. And this is what they're saying loudly. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation is something God gives to us. It's His, and He gives it to us. It belongs to Him, and He gives it to us graciously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 11, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen! Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You know, this is exciting, full-out worship. When we really understand who Jesus Christ is, there's no holding back. There's no moderation. They're full-on with their whole soul and being worshiping God. So this is the summary of what I think this passage is about. Again, I admit, I haven't hit it all. There's many layers here. But one is, this, this passage declares that Jesus is the Messiah, very clearly. It's tied in with this prophecy 500 years before Jesus. Secondly, it demonstrates his sovereignty. I believe this shows his unbelievable control over all the elements. He... He brought this event about. He sits on the unbroken donkey. He knows exactly where the donkey is and how to obtain it. And yet, it's all about his humility as well. This passage demonstrates his humility. The the prophecy said that. Look, your king is coming. He's riding on a a donkey. (laughs) It's humble. Like I said, I just got a new, new motorcycle. I'm very proud of it. You know, humbly so. And I, I highly respect it. It's a very powerful machine. But, you know, uh, imagine going, I've said this before, I just love this idea, you know, riding up to one of those biker bars or going to a Hollister bike event, you know, and all these guys on a big, fat Harleys, rah, 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 and you come up on your little moped. Hey, guys, you want to hang out, you know? <laughs> well, that's what a donkey is. It's like a stinking moped. <laughs> it's embarrassing. <laughs> You know? (laughs) Or or like Matt's scooter, you know? (laughs) Um, It's, but there's a purpose in this. There's a huge purpose in this. Christ the Messiah first humbles himself, and yes, he humiliates himself. And sometimes I misspell humiliation just to be humble, or maybe I didn't catch it last week. But anyway, uh, I, I misspelled humiliation, and my son, you know, really pointed that out several times to me <laughs> last week on the slides. But 
this huge purpose. And he's flying low. He's coming on a borrowed donkey. And he's offering himself as the Savior. And he calls for us to believe. You know, it, it would be kind of maybe too easy to believe if he rode in on a Roman chariot or, or an Abrams tank or a stealth bomber. You know, faith is the key. We walk by faith, not by sight. And he comes humbly all the way to submit to the cross for us. That's what this is all about. Amen. It's like, thank you, Jesus. How, how did you do that? It's the perfect Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. And then finally, it calls forth worship. Clearly, as text says, you know, for like 40 minutes in Jerusalem one day, they got it right. They got it right. He deserves our worship. Un, you know, un whatever, no, no, no governor, no, nothing holding back. I'm going to take off my shirt and give it to him. I'm going to wave a branch because he's God. He loves me. He's going to die for my sins. He's the Messiah. And they don't even know all of that. But they're full out worshiping God. And a lot of Christians are so reserved, they've never worshiped in this way. And it's a, it's a shame. You know, there's several commands in the Bible that say, lift up your hands to God. Lift up your hands to God. And it's a simple little thing. And every once in a while, I'll lift up my hands to God. And I have older people that have passed on, and I buried them. Um, <laughs> they'd come to me and say, Pastor, we don't like that. When you lift your hands, could you possibly just lift one hand? And maybe not so high. I'm serious. And I was like... You know, God bless you. I love you. But here I am. You know, I'm here to worship the God who deserves unreserved worship. You know, and if it gets a little loud once in a while, it ought to. And it can be quiet, too. I'm all into quiet, too. Um, but this passage says they shouted loudly. Okay, summing it up here, then. Some of the Pharisees, of course, said... Hey, 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 teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out, as recorded in Luke. Now, that, this is something what that would look like. <laughs> That's a little silly idea. But if, if we don't worship, God will receive worship. Because here's the deal. Worship is necessary. It's not an option. It's the main thing. And let me tell you this, though. Listen to me carefully. God doesn't need us to worship him. He doesn't wake up and say, oh, I sure wish somebody would worship me today. (laughs) No, he doesn't need us at all. The holy word of God says that he does not live in temples that we make, and he does not need anything we could possibly provide. He doesn't need you. Don't give your money to God. He doesn't need it. He asks for you. You need it. I need it. I'm made for worship. My whole life is supposed to bring glory to my creator. We were made to know God and to worship Him. All human beings were made to know God, know Him, and worship Him. Here is that quote from Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, 
does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's given you life. He's given you breath. He's given you everything. Are you worshiping him? Are you living for him? Are you able to say, Hosanna, I love you. Save me, please. Lord, please make me prosper. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we love you and we, as best we can, we want to worship you and live for you. We want to come up out of the water, rip-roaring. To live for you, to live in newness of life. Thank you for first days of the week and forgiveness and new starts. We come and confess our sins. And we want to be washed clean in the blood. And we want to honor you and, and, and be sanctified, set apart to you. That's our prayer, oh Lord God. And that we would worship you. And we don't know all the ways that, that works. But we just want to say right now, we love you. And we want to be what you want us to be. Through Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Amen. Let's go.